Hi everyone, welcome back to the Spreading Conversations podcast. Today, we'll be dumpster diving into episode 3 of the second season, featuring my very good friend Emma. Now, if you don't know what dumpster diving is, and you're wondering why the heck I tried to fit that awful pun in there, that's a-okay, because we will be talking about it a bit later on in the episode. And trust me, it is a lot more fun than it might sound. I do want to take a moment to acknowledge that this episode is being recorded on stolen Hosseinich and Lekwungen territory, more specifically that of the Songhees and Esquimalt nations on whose lands I've been grateful to connect with over the past couple years. Now, this podcast and even the very notion of listening to the land really would not exist without the generations of care and reciprocity that have existed between the land and these nations. These relationships stretch far into the past and forever into the future, and I want us all to hold that understanding close to heart throughout this conversation today. If you can, take a stroll, sit on some grass, or make yourself a nice dinner while listening to this episode today. I really hope it can bring us all some inspiration to help make all of our visions for the future of our food systems a reality. In today's episode, we talk a bit about how relationships with food are influenced by our dietary restrictions, how accessibility to good food has a really big impact on our day-to-day lives, and also a bit about how some complicated relationships between our food and our bodies can manifest. I do want to give a heads up that we will be touching on some of these subjects in this episode so that no one's caught off guard or made to feel uncomfortable. That being said, we won't really be getting into the nitty-gritty in our conversation today. I also just wanted to give you all a bit of context about what we're going to be talking about today. So, Emma attended the Shelburne Community Kitchen Session, the Youth Session, and the Plant Knowledge Walk at the Good Food Gathering. And so much of our conversation today will be focused on those teachings from those sessions and kind of the experiences we had from them. But without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Emma for introductions and to help us get to know them a little better. Okay, thanks, Alistair. Okay, so my name is Emma Creasy, um, and I'm a queer white settler on Lekwungen and Wasanich territory. I use she, they pronouns, um, and I'm originally from just outside of Ottawa, Ontario, which is unceded Algonquin Anishinaabe territory. I moved here three-ish years ago to attend UVic for forest bio and environmental studies. And most importantly, I am a huge lover of food, um, from growing it to making it to sharing it. And community is also something that's extremely important to me and my life. And I'm really curious about how community can be built around food. And I'm super excited to talk about these topics today. Awesome. Well, yeah, I am so, so excited to have you on. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, and I have a quick question, checking question for you first. Uh, what kind of plant always makes you smile when you see it? Okay, so I was thinking about this a lot because there's obviously a lot of plants I love, but I am going to say the western red cedar. Um, there were three massive ones just outside my house in first year, and they were like such a grounding presence for me throughout the year. Um, and whenever I like walk or bike by a cedar, I just like reach out and give it a little high five. <laughs> yeah, they're really friendly trees. Oh, lovely. And you kind of touched on it a bit before, but how would you describe your connection to food? And would you say that connection overlaps with the lands that you now call home or you now occupy? Um, so my connection to food has been one that has continuously been a massive presence in my life since I was a tiny kid. And it's been constantly evolving. Um, when I was two years old, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease and doctors told me I was allergic to like 20 plus different foods. So my mom and I had to quickly eliminate all these foods from my diet. 
And I started cooking at a really young age in order to be able to eat good food because there was hardly any options available at the store for someone who was allergic to dairy, soy, gluten, strawberries, like literally so many different things. Um, So I feel like my passion for food cooking and my relationship to food really kickstarted at a super young age. Um, And then when I was a young teenager, I started experimenting with a lot of different ways of eating, which didn't always come from a healthy place. So I completely cut out sugar, including fruit, from my diet when I was a preteen, which like looking back was definitely just a way to kind of control my life at a time where it was very turbulent. Um, And then I was eating more like in a paleo primal style for a couple years, which I find really funny looking back because now I'm vegetarian (laughs) and those diets are relying really heavily on meat. Um, Yeah, but as for my connection to food in relation to land, I feel that growing up in a pretty rural area surrounded by farmland allowed me to feel really connected to food and land as a kid. Um, weekends meant going to the local farmer's market and helping my mom in the garden. And then at the start of the pandemic, I was able to come home and I started working at a local greenhouse, um, which grew just cherry and grape tomatoes. And I started picking tomatoes for 50 hours a week. Um, and this job was typically done by Mexican temporary foreign workers, but they couldn't get into the country because of the pandemic. So this experience, coupled with being able to kickstart my own garden again and grow a ton of food that fed my family throughout the fall, really like taught me a lot about food security and what goes into growing our food and how important access to land is to that and also to what extent labor plays into that, um, labor which isn't always and isn't often ethical. Um, and that a lot of Canadians wouldn't really be willing to do themselves in order to grow their food. And now living in Victoria, my relationship to food has deepened even more, um, being introduced to and involved with food rescuing groups like the Community Cabbage at UVic, and just watching foods, watching communities um, be built around food, like at the UVic Campus Community Garden, and through soup suppers at the Multiface Center. Um, and I just love feeling like my connection to food is increasingly deepening in a social context. And I'm really excited to see, like, when I move in the future, how my relationship and connection to food and the land continues to evo- evolve and grow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I really, really appreciate. And, like, I always have your, like, such strong connection between food and community and, like, knowing the amazing time we spent together as roommates and as just really close friends. Like we have so many great stories of just us in the kitchen, getting up to all sorts of shenanigans, which I'm like so grateful (laughs) for. Um, But I'm really curious too, growing up and having to kind of cook for yourself, either with your family or by yourself, were there any specific foods that you really felt you connected with as a kid? Yeah, this question came up at the Shelburne Community Kitchen. And the first thing that came to mind for me um, was actually maple syrup. <laughs> um, being from Eastern Canada, maple syrup is kind of a big thing here. We kind of put it on everything. And um, my grandfather on my mom's side is 
lives in New Brunswick. And growing up, he had a sugar bush. And I would go there and we would make maple syrup together. Um, And this was the mainstay of our Sunday morning pancake breakfast. And just such a treat knowing that came from the trees and from my grandfather's hands. Um, And now he has gotten quite a bit older and he no longer runs the sugar bush. But yeah, this is like a really special tradition to me. Um, Another thing is soup. As you know, I am super obsessed with spicy soups. And they were always just such a comfort food growing up. Like, of course, classic chicken noodle soup when you're sick. Um, And now, yeah, I love making soup for my roommates. (laughs) All my roommates definitely know I love to whip up soups for my weekly dinners. And they're just such comfort food and food for the soul. So, yeah, these are two foods that really feel special to me, make me feel really comforted. Nice. Well, I think, yeah, we definitely have a very similar social location history growing up in Eastern Canada. So growing up with those really special connections has been really, I think, really important for both of us, which is nice. And then kind of looking to your life now, do you feel that you have a voice or a role in our local food system, such as the one in Lekwungen Territory? Um, And did any of the sessions at the Good Food Gathering change that outlook for you in any way? Yeah, Um, I do feel like I have a role, although... I feel like I have more so in the past when I was more directly involved with producing food. Um, But that being said, these sessions to me were just such a great reminder that anyone and everyone is an active participant in our local food systems because we all eat food. And there are so many different diverse ways to become more intentionally involved with our food systems, Um, whether that's bringing food to the community fridge, growing your own food or just striking up a conversation and forming partnerships with other groups working to enhance food security in the region. Because there's so much going on and there's so much that you can get involved with at whatever capacity you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that connection between like connecting with people, but also connecting with the land. Like I think that's just a, such an important part of that, like really merging those two things that I think are so often separated in the mindset of like, you either are a person connecting with the land, or you're a person connecting with other people and kind of bringing those together can be really special. Um, And then I guess also looking at kind of the Good Food Gathering at large, what would you say that the theme of listening to the land really means to you? I love this question a lot because I feel like a lot of different answers could arise from this one. Um, Yeah, so I thought about this a lot and I feel like listening to the land feels very place-based to me. Um, it means allowing yourself to be so immersed in a place that you can notice those tiny shifts in the seasonality and the patterns of a place and just forming like a really deep relationship to it. Um, and then above all, I think that listening to the land really means listening to those who have occupied this land since time immemorial. Um, Indigenous peoples have built incredibly deep reciprocal relationships with the land and they understand it so much better than any of us can as visitors and settlers. Um, So I think listening to the land means constantly working to give increased power and voice to the Indigenous peoples who have stewarded this land um, because they have the knowledge and the tools to allow these lands to thrive going into the future. Mm -hmm. Nice. Awesome. And then at the Shelburne Community Kitchen session that we talked about a bit before, 
Um, we kind of really looked at the foods that are soulful or meaningful to us and also those that are really harmful. And I know that you've talked a lot before uh, early on in the podcast about kind of your relationship with food that was kind of difficult with your allergies and your immune disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so did this exercise really bring anything new to the way that you understand people's diverse relationships with food or kind of highlight anything for you that ha- maybe hadn't thought of before? Yeah, um, I found it really interesting as the the answer started popping up on the sticky notes um, because I realized that quite a few foods that are harmful to me and foods that I choose not to eat for like personal or ethical environmental reasons, they come up as meaningful, soulful foods for other people. Um, And it was definitely a good reminder that it's never your place to judge what other people are choosing to eat and put in their bodies. Um, Because ultimately like everyone's body is different everyone's cultural background is different everyone's soul has different cravings and food needs and it's so important to just honor yourself in that way and listen to your body um and eat intuitively to Mm -hmm. what feels good to you because Mm -hmm. the way I eat isn't going to be nutritious and life-giving to someone else necessarily so that's a really good reminder because it can be easy to think like oh like eating meat isn't great for the environment, but like, who am I to, who am I to judge whether that, that works for someone else? It's not my place. And mm-hmm. I constantly try to, to be as like non-judgmental about people's food choices as possible. Yeah. Um, hoping they can also respect like the way that my body needs to eat as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that definitely struck a chord for me too. The idea that like, in my own mind, like relationship to food, like I find I vilify some foods sometimes. Mm-hmm. And like that reminder, like you just said, like the idea that those foods can be so important to certain people and to not just recognize that maybe I'm not eating meat for ethical and for environmental reasons, but it's not the meat that I should be picking a bone with. I may be pun intended, um, <laughs> but also the, like it's like the larger systems of power at play that really affect that dynamic. And like, really recognizing that it's not the food itself that we have to kind of get get upset over, but like recognize like the importance it has. Yeah. I feel a lot of freedom for myself within that too. Like as someone who has kind of been a bit too controlling and obsessive over my own food in the past, now like choosing to eat like mostly vegetarian with the exception of sushi burritos (laughs) is a lot more liberating and feels like it is a lot more impactful while also like I'm not depriving myself because that is not the way to go. (laughs) Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, And then in that conversation, we also talked a lot about the significance of having choices when it comes to the foods we eat. I know we talked about that a little bit just now, but maybe can you reflect on some areas in your own life where you've been denied access to these choices and kind of what that's looked like for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, Honestly, I've been really privileged in how I've been able to access food. Um, Growing up, my my family had the money to afford fresh, nutritious, and often local foods um, that met my dietary restrictions and our family's needs. Um, But now as a student, I've started noticing that it can be really difficult to access local food. Um, for instance, I would love to buy local eggs, but they aren't sold anywhere near where I live and I don't have a car. Um, so I cannot really easily access them. It's really made me realize how physical accessibility to good food is a huge issue with our food system. 
Um, and I'll have a lot of conversations with my roommates about why the hell can you buy avocados from Mexico at the grocery store, but not local greens from a farmer in Saanich? Like, what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> and I think you've kind of already answered, like, really beautifully the question of, like, where maybe you personally have more access to these foods. Um, but what are some of the larger systems of power that you feel influence other people's access to not being able to make these choices? Um, yeah, I feel like education is a huge one. Um, yeah, I feel like we don't really learn in school, like how to cook good nutritious food or like how important that is to your well-being. Um, and like, I feel like a lot of people think that plant-based food is super bland and not filling, um, and expensive, but if you're equipped with the skills to cook with these ingredients, it can be super cheap, super nutritious and a filling way to eat. Um, and time is another one. Like in the society, we, in the society, (laughs) we (laughs) just focus so much on productivity and on careers And people honestly don't really have the time to cook good food. It takes a lot of time to acquire the ingredients, to cook them, to clean up after. And it can be a lot easier to just swing by McDonald's on your way home. Um, Because frankly, it's cheaper to buy like a full meal there than it is to buy all the ingredients to cook up a meal. And there's the whole time component with that too. So yeah, I think it's just like we don't prioritize. Um, we don't give people the time or the resources to really learn how to make good food and how important that is to mm-hmm. their life. Yeah. In addition to obviously like financial and physical barriers that I've already mentioned before. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that time can, I don't think it's often overlooked, but I think it can often kind of swept to the side of like, it's not really a physical barrier that we maybe talk about, but it's mm-hmm. still very real and very present in everyone's lives. And yeah, I think maybe one thing that we both love doing is rescuing food. It's kind of one um, option to mitigating kind of the the financial uh, impacts. Maybe I know that kind mm-hmm. of comes with its own ramifications of like dignity of acquiring your own food too, but could you want, maybe mm-hmm. want to speak to your relationship with rescuing food and how that's kind of influenced your understanding of our food system that we're part of or more broadly even food itself? Yeah. Well, as you probably agree, um, rescuing food or dumpster diving has definitely made me realize how problematic our food system is. Um, I just, it's so hard to believe, but it's true that over half of food produced in Canada is thrown out, especially when there's such high levels of food insecurity that people are facing. So in that sense, I feel like rescuing food feels like both a political action, but also a practical action. Um, And we're essentially thwarting the linear design of the food system while also bringing a community of really awesome people together. So it's something I'm really proud to be a part of, and I'm really grateful that I have the time um, to be part of this great thing (laughs) um and then more on a personal level I find that dumpster diving has allowed me to become a lot more creative with my cooking because unlike going to the store and picking out exactly what you want for your dinner 
you'll go and you'll see what <laughs> the dumpster provides. And then you cook based off of that. So it's allowed me to try some really, really cool foods that I don't think I would have otherwise. And just to get more creative and free in the kitchen. Yeah, I really, really love that. I could like, I literally could not agree more with you on that. It's like, such, <laughs> it's just such a cool practice. I think that we've both been able to share and really benefit from, which is awesome. And then moving on, is there anything else from the Shelburne Community Kitchen session that you found really interesting or you want to kind of talk on too? Yeah, I was honestly blown away by how cool everyone who attended that session was and how um, diversely they were involved with the Victoria food system and food security. Um, Yeah, that was super cool. I also really enjoyed talking with Kim, who's the program director about community cabbage and I was really blown away and appreciative of how like willing she was to help um, us get support in acquiring a new kitchen space which is something we're looking for for the new year it just felt so amazing to be able to kind of just form casual connections with these people and that they're they're really really like rooting for each other and working together to help each other with with their causes yeah we're all working together towards the same goal really yeah I'm actually so glad that you brought that up because that really reminded for me to just the power that collective action can have and just the reminder that we're not individuals in this action and trying to work in our food systems there's so many people working towards such common goals and just remember there's other people out there that are similarly minded but who may have different resources or different experiences and opportunities to help us out it's just such a skill to have that in your back pocket for sure um, and then now on the youth session, as I was saying before, it was so, so lovely to have you in that space. And I know the garden is a very special space for both of us, but I was wondering if you could take some time to talk about your relationship specifically with the campus community garden that we held the youth session at. Yeah, I love this question. <laughs> yeah, the campus community garden is just so special to me. Um, I started going in my first year and it's really feels like a home um, to me. It has brought me to some of my dearest connections and people in my life and really allowed me to deepen connections with other people in my community. Um, it brought me to you, Alistair, <laughs> <laughs> and our amazing house. Um, yeah, that place just feels like kind of like church to me, honestly, like queer church. I really, really love that space. <laughs> yeah, I cannot agree more with you on that one. <laughs> That's awesome. awesome. And then how would you say this space has impacted your connection to food, to the land? And then what about your relationship with other people kind of living on it and living from it in this space and more broadly as well? Yeah, I also love this question. Um, I feel like the garden has provided me this space I didn't really know I needed, but I did during university just a space to get my hands dirty and to continuing fostering that connection to the land that I feel like I had as a child having a garden in my childhood. And now I don't have the space to have that for myself, but I can still engage with that at the garden. Um, and yeah, something I want to talk about is how I really appreciate how it's really emphasized at the garden that there's no obligation ever to be productive. Um, I find this to be so important and such a breath of fresh air as a university student in a capitalist society, <laughs> because 
I'm constantly working and we're constantly being told you have to produce, you're being lazy if you take a break. But Sid always emphasizes, you know, if you're not feeling it today, it's okay to just like sip a cup of tea and chat. And I find that really special about the garden. Mm -hmm. And I think that being in this energy and in this space has taught me to hold myself and others more gently and to nurture ourselves just like we nurture the plants in the garden. Mm. I really love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's (laughs) awesome. Um, And then also, as you'll remember from the youth session, it was an art event, which I think was a fairly new thing for the gathering. Um, But what were some of the things that you found beneficial about having a structure like this? And also, was anything maybe lost by doing it like this? I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly just have like positive feedback from it. I really loved how flowy and low pressure the event was. Um, there were so many different options to dabble in with making art. And there was no pressure to do so if you weren't feeling it. And I really love that it gave the opportunity for more casual conversations about food and life with other event attendees. That was a really nice break from the more intense sessions, Mm -hmm. for sure. Oh, lovely. Um, And then did this session influence the way that you feel equipped to listen to the land at all? Kind of with the exercises we had in the little booklet or anything like that? Conversations even? Yeah, yeah. I love how it emphasized having some more quiet, intimate moments with plants and nature as a way to listen to the land. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then also moving on to the plant walk you were able to take part of. um, Was there anything that you learned or found really interesting about uh, the walk? And then since the walk, have you been able to kind of reflect on any of those teachings that you've made connections with? Yeah, I feel really, really fortunate to have attended this event with J.B. Williams. It was super special. It was like pouring rain. (laughs) And you were in this dark, wet forest, and it just felt very precious. Um, I really loved learning about the use of trailing blackberry leaf tea to reduce menstrual cramps. That was super cool. It also felt very serendipitous because... I myself was having horrible cramps right in that moment. (laughs) And then JB, um, he shared that fact with us. And I'm like, okay, well, I will definitely be storing this in my back pocket. Um, And another thing was that JB really emphasized the importance of leaving an offering for the plant after harvesting. Um, Whether that be like a plant medicine like tobacco or by spreading its seeds so it can expand and reproduce. Um, I just think that's super important to keep in mind that like plants are sentient beings and we need to interact with them in a very like respectful and reciprocal way. And that teaching did stick in mind with me. Um, I was down by Arbutus harvesting rose hips with my lovely roommate, Megan, um, which we made into rosehip jelly. And uh, I remembered to gather some of the like plump rose hips and then scatter the seeds around just to nice. give them a little gift, to give them a little boost. Oh, awesome. And I think that's just such a special way of interacting with the earth and mm-hmm. a way like as settlers, we need to really learn from indigenous folks um, how to engage more respectfully with the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up. I think kind of the first time that really dawned 
for me was reading Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, who I think most of us listening to this podcast and probably all of us have like read before and like at least can really appreciate. And that idea of like the honorable harvest and really recognizing that you're engaging in a relationship with a plant when you're communing with it in this way. And it's not just a taking relationship. It's you have to find some way to reciprocate that and to really share what you bring to the table as well as what they bring. So yeah, I really appreciate you bringing that up. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of some of the wrap up questions we have here. Uh, one of the big ones is in a dream world, what do you want to see differently in our feud's future, <laughs> both in a long-term and a short-term goals? Yeah, this is a big question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could talk about this literally all day, but I will keep it short and sweet for y'all. Um, in the short term, this may be like super radical, but I think the government should make food free. <laughs> amen, <laughs> amen. <laughs> um, and maybe that's not realistic or whatever, but at the very least, I would love to see the government subsidize um, local food so it's at least cheaper than imported and processed foods because that's just such a way to stimulate our local economy and to yeah our farmers do so much for us we wouldn't be anywhere without our farmers so I'd love if the government gave them some more funding so food could be more accessible and that they could continue doing their thing because it's pretty dang important and then in the long term I would love to see the revitalization of local indigenous food systems such as the Quetlaw food system um I got to learn a lot about this like within my ethnoecology class this year and also just participating in events like this. And yeah, I would really love to see like our Gary Oak Meadows restored and Quetlal being a more prominent part of people's diets because originally that was what this land produced. And yeah, it's just a a beautiful it would be a beautiful thing too have that resurgence I think culturally and ecologically and for our food systems awesome yeah I really appreciate that thank you for sharing that um and also kind of to end off this episode what are two big maybe takeaways you want to encourage your listeners to remember okay number one (laughs) um (laughs) you are an active player in your local food systems and there are so many ways to get involved in whatever capacity you're capable of um yeah Just want to throw that out there. A little reminder to y'all. And number two, um, taking time to form your own place-based relationship with the land, even just like a little park by your house. That's a great way to feel connected to yourself, your food, and your community. So I encourage you to find that, that space that's really special to you and just to watch the seasons change and watch things grow and see what that what that means for you awesome and anything else you want to add before we wrap up and send you off i just wanted to say thank you for having me alistair i love you so much (laughs) (laughs) i'm really stoked to be on your podcast yeah it was such a pleasure to have you on such an honor i just want to thank you so so much okay Uh, sounds good love (laughs) you